let's get into it. You know, like one of the things I was really excited about chatting with you about was, you know, the real world needs of, of clients at agencies, you know, yeah. as a guy with a background in some decently sized agencies of some yeah. repute, both positive and negative, depending on your opinion in the world mm -hmm. uh, of how people feel about agencies. I think one of the not you, I'm just saying in general, I think one of the big issues is agencies aren't necessarily aligned with the real world needs of their clients. I think there's a gap kind of happening there. Yeah. And I'm curious, like how you feel about, or as somebody that has built successful agencies and gotten exits and really built the structure. Yeah. Like how do you feel the agency's needs are, or how do you position caring about the real world needs of the clients at the agencies? Cause I think, to be fair, there are agencies that can fail clients, but there's also a lot of clients that can just wildly fail the agency because it's a simpatico yeah. relationship. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So first of all, you know, I'd love to take credit for the building and the exiting, but you know, I'm supportive of of great founders that I worked with. And, and there you go. I love it. I love it. Look at that, man. This is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I think this is a, a really brings up a great point because agencies, there's so many of them, right? And it's hard to really know when you're finding a good one. Plus, you look at some of the really big ones that have grown and built, you know, giant brand names. And then, you know, how do you know that you're really getting the treatment that you need, that you're getting the most value for the money that you're spending? And, you know, a lot of them, they, they get very bloated and they become process heavy. Um, and there's kind of like a medium that needs to be found for every brand at the unique stage that they're in and what their need is. So it's great when you can find an agency partner that you're with for two, three, four, five more, you know, years. Uh, but a lot of brands, like they do need to evolve and graduate and say like, hey, they were really great for this stage or these last two years of uh, where we were. And then we needed to make a change for someone new. So I think for uh, for agencies to really be the best that they can be for brands, there's a lot of accountability that needs to happen on both sides, right? So the brand has to make sure that they've got strong management that's managing the agency, asking the right questions, has someone that's dedicated and has knowledge in terms of what they're doing. Um, and then there also has to be really good expectations that are set when you're making that agency decision. What do we need help with? How much do I actually need the agency to take over? And how much do we want to have in control? And then there's some gray area in terms of like, well, where do we want to be collaborative as well? Or do we have another vendor, like let's say a creative agency and you're the media agency and like, how do we want that uh, relationship not only to collaborate, but to be like really, you know, uh, symbiotic as well. Like everything has to has to work really nicely. So uh, there's an accountability piece in terms of like the client really managing the agency and vice versa, managing the client. Like you called out, clients can be difficult too. But I think for a really great agency, especially in the performance marketing space, you know, which is where I come from, where everything is about results, got to be ahead of the curve, right? You can't just find a product that works and you're like, okay, great. This has been really successful this year and, and the previous year, like you have to adopt technology. You have to make sure that like you're uh, evolving at the same rate that the creative messaging is, is evolving, that all the social media platforms are evolving. Where's the younger generation going? Who's actually, where are all the impressions and eyeballs shifting to? So there's gotta be really strategic leadership uh, and a lot of innovation on the agency side, I think to really, you know, 
create and continue to evolve the best possible product for their clients. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's funny you're talking about, like, I, 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 there is something I saw today that yeah. I feel like I want clients to know that the people that work at agencies are also aware of sometimes this lack of symbiosis. Um, yeah. As a former supervisor at Omnicom mm. of Resolution Media, there's an organized like walkout because the average pay is 50K and the, the CEO makes 20 million a year. I actually about I to- saw that. I saw that on, um, oh my God, what's that Instagram account? Uh, Chadvertising. Oh yeah. Yeah. Chadvertising. Love Chadvertising yep. and Baller Busters. Two of my favorite, mm-hmm. like, advertising, like the Baller Busters. I don't know if you've, have you seen that one? Uh, I haven't seen that one, but I, I, I follow digital Chadvertising a lot. I saw yeah, the no, Chadvertising time. is excellent. Yeah, uh, no, shout yeah. out to Chadvertising, not a sponsor. Check them out. <laughs> uh, right? uh, and then Baller Busters is great too, because they just take all the like hacky gurus and they're just like, oh, by the way. And then like, it's just, it's a, like, if you think the person on the sales call is not legitimate, go to Baller Busters. And if they're mentioned, 100% not legit. Okay. Um, but yeah, and, and I just shared a video on, on, on my channel about how I used to spend a million a day. Yeah. At a 20% commission. And I made 75K a year. Yeah. And yeah. that would make a million a week profit. Mm-hmm. Like, that is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want people out there to know that, like, people at agencies are aware of when that's happening. And I think it's, I think it's also good to know that, like, people, are, not every, like, I think some folks have an opinion of an agent of the agency world. And and I want people to know that not all bad. Like, there are very yeah. good people in the agency world. It's just. <clears throat> At some point, it gets bought out by a holding company and bought out by a holding company and bought out by a holding company. And then it's a bank. Yeah, yes. I think that's actually a really good point, right? Because you have the big five and you've got all the the agencies that have been acquired by the big five and are kind of like living in that ecosystem. And then you have all the startups, right? So I think uh, in my experience, I work with a lot of growth stage agencies, which is where you know my my focus is. Um, there's a lot more on, I think the profit sharing side. Now they all have different approaches. I can speak to like, you know, the agency that I, I came from, we were very transparent. Like it was commission-based essentially there was, uh, there was an ask for people to kind of take a haircut on their base with uncapped commission. It was very transparent. You know, your level of your role was on like a, a document that everyone that was your peer that did the same job had access to. So the salaries were, there was a lot of transparency there and then it was commission-based. So if you crushed it and it was all communicated and agreed to, so everyone knew exactly like how much of the take-home they would get and the better they did, if they could actually scale their clients and we could bill more, they would earn more. So you had a lot of people that were, you know, really doing very well. The clients are doing well because like, their campaign managers and their teams are heavily incentivized sure. for them to perform, right? Like you, most of the time, the majority of the time, like in an ideal world, you're only scaling if there are results there. Um, and we're talking about, you know, previously like accountability on the client side, if they're just scaling inefficiently, 
you know, it's on them. And a lot of them, you know, if they're savvy enough, they're pre-negotiating that. You yeah. Know, yeah. Whatever they're, yeah, they're like, hey, we're not scaling, we're, we're bumping budget. Uh, but, you know, the staff is highly incentivized. That creates a really competitive environment, right? So you, you have the best of the best that's sticking around. The people that can't hang, you don't really need to fire them because they're going to leave. Yeah. And you have this like natural progression of like only having great marketers that's, that are there. They're competing with each other. It's a really healthy environment. And like that proved to be really successful. So I think like you see that more with these, you know, kind of entrepreneurial environments, not so much with the bigger ones, but if you're, you know, a, a brand and you're looking to hire an agency, these are things that you might not think about or know to ask that you should be asking in terms of like, how is the team structured? How are they compensated? How are they incentivized? Like you want to know who you're working with, meet them and understand how they're actually incentivized. Is this just a job to them? Do I need to stay on their ass 24 seven to make sure I'm getting results or right. is it more of a partnership and you want your client to make it feel like this is a true partnership? No, absolutely. And I think that really brings it straight to like, everything is as good as the foundation, right? So it's yeah. like, from either the agency side, and, and for the record, I think we were talking about this right beforehand, and I think this is a great way to put it. Yeah. Um, we were talking about like, I like to say work is all is never done. It's just in various stages of completion. I think everybody that's freelancing is running an agency. It's just that agency might have one client or it might have like 50. Like you're still yeah. in the way that we're talking about it. It is a service industry job where you are being outsourced to deliver a, something for somebody, depending on however your org structure is, it's still relevant. So with that in mind, this is not just about, you know, 20 client, 100 client, 50 media buyers with eight clients a piece, like agencies, which, oh, um, like I remember those days uh, a couple of times. <laughs> uh, Jefferson Boulevard in Marina Del Rey, if that means anything to anybody, like, whew. Uh, but yeah, so with that being said, like, I think it's all about the foundation. I think. Every, you're only as good as, you know, where you get started. I think it's very hard to recover when you have a bad foundation. So talk to me about like maximizing your relationship with the agency and the client at the very beginning. And what are some of the biggest pitfalls to avoid there? Because I think so many people are just like, oh, I just got paid. And either they're really nervous because they don't know they can deliver or yeah. they're like, on the other end of the spectrum, where we're talking about these more illegitimate agencies that are more like a bank, they're just like, fantastic, I need to get to that second contract being written so that I can give this to an entry-level employee and get my good ones on to the next client. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think everyone that that has kind of gone off on their own, you can define it as an agency, but you're a service provider, right? Yeah. You know, it's all about relationship. And I think that there's, you know, we've talked about this before, there's like the actual value that you drive. And then there's the perceived value that you drive. And I think that they're weighted equally. And the perceived value is not a lie, right? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be smoke and mirrors. It should be the gray area. Like, that's how I put it. It is really more about, like, the relationship building. It's the setting of expectations. It's communicating properly. It's making sure that, like, you and, and your client or clients are all on the same page. Um, really setting the tone, I think, from the sales process and look, like you're trying to close someone, obviously there's a sale involved, but once sure. you're in there, 
right? Like there's no value in closing that deal or going through the sales process if you're not going to have a lengthy relationship. Like that's where the value is going to exist. So once that contract is signed, right? Like how are you actually setting expectations appropriately? And I think creating perceived value with that client. So even though the contract signed, how am I adding incremental value to what they see right now? I think a lot of that comes down to like, you know, asking really intelligent questions, making sure that you're spending time really getting to know their business, what the pain points are, ask them, you know, what their customers' pain points are, right? Like, what are what are the objections and fears that your customers have? How can I use that um, with whatever the services that I'm providing, whether it's advising or if it's media or if it's creative? Like, you want to have a good understanding of that. And I think if you're working with, regardless of who you're working with, but if, especially if you're working with a founder and that baby, that, that product or business is their baby, they're really going to appreciate like these types of questions because you really want to dig in and understand. And then separately from the business, just get to know them as people, right? So I think that that's what really creates, you know, this, this uh, strong, you know, stickiness, that value, like gets really deep into the gray area where they start saying, you know, okay, I'm really seeing this person as a partner, not just as a, a vendor or an agency or a service provider. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Cause I, I think, you know, I mean, everything is colored by the first impression. Right. And I yeah. think so many people just wildly undervalue that. And, and Mm-hmm. Above and beyond just that first impression of the conversation, it's also like, you know how you're being treated, right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, it is, uh, I like to consider it like a service industry job. Yeah. Right? Like, I think, and what's odd is that in it being a service industry job, the best people at the gig of actually doing the work aren't necessarily the best people to like talk to clients and be the onboarding. And there's always sort of, sometimes you have the client manager and your org structure can handle that. Cause like the great, like, I think there's an issue that we have this really good media buyers are very like alpha mentality, like entrepreneurs, right? Like I like to think of it as, it's like a fighter pilot or like a wall yeah. street bank. Like you watch like Wolf of wall street, like that, it, like I've been in that room where it's ad agency dudes just crushing like million dollar days. Yeah. Like, and it's just like, you know, the people that are really good. And then the people that are really nice and the people that are really nice tend to do bad work and keep the client for a lot longer. Um, and the people yeah. that are really good tend to leave the agency and start their own thing. And like, there's that whole ecosystem yeah. of, of that. I don't um, know if I, if uh, the people that are really nice keep the clients always for longer, but they, I, I've seen them, they keep clients for a lot longer than, uh, than they should have. I'll, I'll, t- I'll take that. Yeah. People yeah. stick around for a lot longer than they probably <laughs> should have been there. 100%. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they can work in recovery or, or like the, the, you know, loss prevention department yeah. basically as we give you like the really nice person. I remember there's a couple, like, I was at a spot where these two girls were fantastic at it. Yeah. Uh, and it's not, I think the men and women can both be great at this, but you could give any client to one of these two women that was like 10 days and they were gone and they would stick around for another six months, even though it was terrible, even though like yeah. there's absolutely no reason they should be there. And hundred percent, hundred percent. That's all relationships, right? And 100%. Like, 
you're right. I think, you know, I think that's a good way to to describe like who you're going to see on the media side at an agency. You're going to see like, I don't know, the, the digital chads that are just going to come in and, and just crush and destroy and they're, they're gurus and they're growth hackers and the performance will be there. And they're definitely the more innovative folks, um, a little bit more entrepreneurial, but you've got like on the other side, the perceived value people, not to say that they don't have actual value like they do, but their strength is going to be in the relationship building. It's going to be in the storytelling, yeah. um, a little bit less in the execution. But I also think that there's a beauty in like having an agency where you can have a team, especially if you're pair, if you're pairing people up, right? Like strategically pairing one of each of those folks up or having, you know, I mean, that's really why there's an account manager yeah. that, uh, or a client success director, whoever's really the relationship manager that can really step in and be the communication point of contact for the, you know, the, the jet pilot to really go in there and execute and be, you know, precise and be a warrior. Uh, so I, I think, you know, looking at your personnel and staff and like looking at, at the different ways that you pair people up and, and evaluate talent, uh, who can be a manager and who can be an executor, um, and, you know, a, an individual contributor, like that's really critical in terms of, of, you know, just managing a team. No, I totally agree. And, and with that being said, um, knowing that there's multiple roles and knowing that there's a lot of different places that how an agency can service a client. I, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on like, what is the role of the agency in the brand story? Because you mentioned like they might be the right yeah. person now, but they might not be the right person for later. And how does that evolve, at least in your experience? Yeah, it definitely, especially in the performance side, right? Like like my background's in performance marketing and e-commerce. So I think that that is very telling because a lot of brands, like they may have a, an ultimate or aspirational goal of having a full in-house team uh, where you kind of own and control. And a lot of them are really open about that from the beginning. You know, they'll sign with with an agency and say like, hey, look, like we we really need you to get us to this level. And then my goal is to bring it in-house. That's great when they're kind of transparent about that because they're setting a target for you. Right. Um, not that that's always definitive, right? You get to a certain point if you've added enough value and they just, they're like, hey, we can't get rid of you. We can't afford to, <laughs> um, you know, that I think is a benefit too. I wouldn't be afraid of of the transparency coming from a client on, on when they want to make a transition. But when they're growing, like let's say you're working with a smaller uh, brand and they're kind of like at the early stage of their their launch, like all of this fluffy process stuff is kind of, it's really not that important. It's all about just executing, moving fast, keep me, you know, at a, at a strong ROAS or a strong MER. Like I just have to have money coming in. Um, I need to get to this level. Uh, and like, you can have a really critical part in like that first leg of, uh, of the race, you know, if it's a marathon and then, you know, you kind of need to evolve. So I think for a larger agency, like, you know, you can have a critical piece of their story by saying like, hey, you're coming in, uh, this is your your spend level, we're only going to do two channels, you're going to get two people on this team, and we're paying this much. And you get to a point where you're like, okay, well, we need to start adding services, we need to start expanding from just our top of funnel marketing and like ramp up uh, on the Google side, we need to start ramping up shopping, we need to actually upgrade you to Shopify uh, you know, 2.0, we have resources that can help you along, uh, with all of this. We want to take over your email, right? So like you can have a critical part in growing with them 
But if you are more of a boutique agency and you're going to keep your staff limited because the founders don't want to scale too fast or manage too much, you might just say like, hey, you know, we're kind of at our limit. I think uh, a lot of businesses don't want to do that because they want to retain the business. But I do know an agency in the space that like they consider it graduating and they talk to these clients and say like, yeah. hey, we really help you up until you're you know, 20 or 30 million ARR. And then we pretty much will graduate. Um, yeah. We'll let you graduate away from us. And we'll make those intros to to strategic like agency partners that we have that that kind of take our our top guys. Um, so I, I think that that they're a critical piece of the story and you want to have success during whatever part of that uh, that timeline is and have the the brand founder speak really highly about you and recommend, you know, your services to other brands that are, where they were when they worked with you. Yeah, absolutely. And to that point, I think, to be fair, bigger isn't necessarily better either. Yeah. Like, I know plenty of people that do one thing pretty well. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe they're the 5 million to 20 million agency and they got a five person team. Yeah. And they're really good at that work. And they do the same stuff basically every day in and out. And they're able to really iterate and get into the weeds of that. And their workload is less and their take home is more yeah. than, well, everybody, but the folks at the top and even the other folks at the top of places that have like 20 clients that need to hot because the more clients you have, you also have larger legal, you have larger you payroll, you have larger liabilities, insurances, mm -hmm. like operating costs skyrocket with agency client volume. Yeah. And like on the side of just being a successful entrepreneur or a successful agency owner, like measuring your worth by the bank account. And yeah. like, I, like, I'll put it this way. I know plenty of people that run a seven-figure company that make three times, five times as much as the folks that run the eight-figure company. And I mean, the person at the top, what their actual take-home is. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes people work really hard to figure out a way to give themselves a day job where they're making less money and working a lot harder. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I feel like I have the... Um the benefit of knowing a lot of entrepreneurs uh, yeah. from, from working for two very successful entrepreneurs that went through an exit uh, and through that network and, and, you know, kind of just through the the businesses that I've worked with, which is great. And uh, I know small ones, I know large ones, ones that have exited, some that have been in, in business for literally four decades and, you know, are still running everything and, and made, you know, all the money in the world. They're none of them are the same, right? Yeah. Like have different, needs in their life uh i i know one that like really looks at an exit and a huge payday as like the measure of success and i know some that really just want to have like something that's small and controllable that they can run for for many many years make a lot of money and just kind of enjoy what they're doing yeah uh, i mean if you can build yourself a i i know some folks that have built themselves a playground yeah. Then they show up to work at like 10 something. They leave around three or four. They're there four or five days a week. And they're, they're balling. 
Like, yeah, they're, it's, they're, not, they're, it's yeah. not to say that they're like lazy or anything. They're no, they're, they're just really they're, good at what they do, and you don't need them. Like, and I'm like an agency's value isn't by how much work that they do. Yeah, you know, and, and let me ask with that, like, I'm curious of like I think ultimately agencies are measured by how do they help the brand grow, how do they drive revenue, how are they helping with conversions? You know what I mean? And yeah. Yeah, especially when it's performance agencies, right? Of yeah. email or paid social search, whatever it happens to be, there is a bottom line dollar valuation. And yeah. I'm curious how, how you've gone about like understanding, like helping people understand: is your agency helping with conversions? Like, what do people yeah. need to know? I mean, the performance side, you have to help with conversion. Otherwise, you know, that that's that's your role. I mean, that's 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 the whole job. Absolutely. Yeah. But there that, are other places that are creative shops and web design agencies, and it yeah. can be a little bit murkier on how things are done. And you know what? That's actually really interesting. I think when you get out of like the performance like media side, right? Or like, you know, full service agency that does everything or, yeah. or almost everything that they need to run your whole store and actually deliver results. Um, but I've been, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of different agencies and I, I've been talking to uh, some creative ones as well. And I, I met with one today that does like really great production. They work with brands that are kind of at a minimum. I think they told me was uh, 50 mil um, in ARR. So they're doing like big productions, but they're one time uh, you know, contracts. They don't have a lot of recurring. They don't have a lot of other value in terms of going a little bit further down the funnel. They're very focused on like the one thing that they're good at, which I respect. I tell, you know, every service provider that I work with, like, don't run away from your, from your core offering, like keep your identity, keep your DNA at the root of your entire service as it evolves. Um, but I think there was a big opportunity for them to really say like, okay, we're, we're really crushing it on this top of funnel piece, but how do we supplement it with like everything that's, that comes afterwards, all of the DR stuff, building out campaigns. Why aren't they doing landing pages that match like the, the top of funnel campaigns that they're developing and producing? Why don't they have static images that are coming with that? Why are, don't they have templated you know, DR ads for TikTok, for Instagram, that are going to cut their two minute spot down into like 30, 15, 10 second videos. Um, they don't have the media background. And I think that was the missing piece of like strategic partnerships with, uh, with media buyers. You know, how can you work, like I was saying before, really collaborating with another agency that has that expertise and say, hey, we're really good at like the top part of this. We can execute on the bottom part of it, but we need some strategic direction you've got that relationship there or you're willing to work with the clients, you know, performance side, that is really going to be a symbiotic relationship that you can, you can build, you can give, sell bigger packages. You can retain them by, by, you know, <clears throat> I think doing a refresh every quarter or every campaign, whatever it is at whatever size that they are. And it opens you up, not just for clients that are already spending it that much, but you've got like, the growth stage clients that are like not at that $50 million stage yet, but they are getting there and you can get them in because you offer all the DR stuff. So I, I think there's definitely a big evolution or maybe evolution is the wrong word, but like opportunity to evolve the service and grow it to, to add, you know, more strategic value.
Yeah, no, I definitely think so. And and I think where I've noticed some of the biggest issues for, for instance, performance marketers is just in that I think there becomes this huge conflict of what defines success and ultimately how how people are ultimately getting rewarded for the work that they're doing, you know, it's yeah. which I think goes down the rabbit hole of attribution and all sorts of stuff like that. And I, I think I've always taken the role of one of the things that I did early on that was really helpful that I kind of just got into the space because I was put into a room to so back in the day, I was a uh, senior ad ops at a place called Hyphen, which was one of, one of the became part of the Next Star Media Group, and I was there through a couple buyouts. Right? Um, yeah. It was wild, uh, just their growth because they had you know we had good clients, um, and one of the things that I did was I was known as like the guy that could take money from Critio. Mm. And what I did was I lit, I, I built out this doc that I still use today called the ecosystem ROAS doc. And it was literally sit there to measure incremental lift, like at a glance in a spot. And I would just say, all right, every agency, we're going to have all of our agencies. You have all of your in-house teams, whatever. We're all going to put our performance into a doc. And we're going to see like when we invest more in one place, what happens? Like, let's get better our investment portfolio. Yeah. And I think in one year, I probably pulled 50 million in billable from Critio from like, wow, just showing that what they did didn't actually produce any result. Yeah. And what we were able to do is say, well, like, well, just give us that money. And then, hey, look, this number went up by more. And, and so we were really able to prove the bottom line change. And I think that was that was how we at least went about it. Yeah. Yeah. I realized that I, I missed the uh, answering the, the question on measuring success when I went down the, the rabbit hole <laughs> with, um, with the creative agency example. Um, but the point there, I think, was was to if you can develop like the DR side, sticking with that example, uh, you can measure the success of, of what you're, you know, sending back to them. So with creative, it's like, all right, well, how is this actually impacting your business? It's not just the cost of the production and the, you know, our margin, but is this actually adding value? Did it drive conversion? Does the media team actually agree with that? Did they think that we were a good partner to work with in terms of giving them creative that they actually want and can use versus just dumping assets on them that, you know, isn't built for success? So I think with your example, like obviously pulling and, and visualizing results looking at, you know, what you were doing previously, like, how do we compare to your previous agency? How do we compare year over year, week over week, campaign over campaign, uh, you know, the new creative assets that we rolled in versus the top, you know, the previous ones, are we constantly AB testing? Are we establishing controls and then testing against those controls to always show incremental lift? Oh like, man, now you're talking crazy. You're talking about the things to get me banned on Twitter for saying, like, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I think obviously communicating just any type of measurable success that, that proves out value. That's the actual value moving away from like the perceived value part of the relationship. Sure. I, I yeah, I, I love that. And I think part of that is about their experience, right? So like, I think part of it is understanding how to create a memorable customer experience for the clients of the agency 
And I mean, I was always able to say to people like dotted line, bottom line, yeah. this will make you more money. This is a waste. And I looked at it as an investment banker. And one guy said one time, he's like, you're just like a VC helping our CMO. And I'm like, I am your CMO. And they didn't like the fact that I said that on the call, but whatever. <laughs> uh, I was doing a good job. Their CMO was lazy as hell. Uh, okay. That's fine. Um, he was on his month 17 of his 20 month stay that every CMO has. And like he had already, he was already taking job interviews, I think at that point. So whatever. <laughs> but yeah, like, what do you like to do or what have you seen done well to, that helps these service providers and agencies create that memorable customer experience that stands above and beyond just the execution? Because the execution is a commodity. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I always told my team, and I know this is, this is, you know, what uh, the masterclass is, is all about is like step one after the contract is signed is onboarding, the onboarding yeah. process. And I see a lot of agencies that just do the basics and for the most part, that's fine, right? Like the purpose of onboarding is to say like, okay, this is what you purchased. This is what we need to get moving. Uh, we got everything. Give me access to everything. Give me your assets and we'll set up a Slack channel and, you know, we need your goals and here we go. But what makes it memorable, I think, is like if you really extrapolate on that and you go beyond just the uh, like the basics and you dive into the gray area and you keep all of the perceived value at the forefront of that process, you're creating a good experience. So for a marketer, like to understand that, like think about how you handle CRO or how you're looking at someone's website or landing page. It's all about the user experience. You have creative and then you have to drive into like a, a premium experience that closes the deal. So I think it's, it's the same thing when you're dealing, you're still dealing with people and they purchased a service. So having, you know, being really on top of communicating, sending them all this material that you have worked out, especially if you can have it branded towards them and it looks really personalized and curated. Um, I mentioned earlier asking really intelligent questions. So yeah. don't just ask for, you know, access to Facebook and Google and like a creative folder, but asking really deep questions on what's your origin story? How did you found the business? Why did you like create this business? Yes. What problem did it solve for you? Um, even the objections, I think I mentioned earlier, is like, what are the fears and objections that your customers have? And how do you tackle that? What are brands that you aspire towards? Like, show me creative examples of, of competitors or just not even competitors, other brands that are in other verticals that you really love, like the way that they do things and communicate. So like digging into that gray area and asking those questions, materializing all of that in your onboarding process and your, your docs, like that makes it really memorable. So that's, there's gray area there, but that's still execution. And then on top of that, like you need good account people that can communicate this, that yeah. can really like, they have to have energy. They have to be professional communicators. Yeah. Um, I talk about matching the client's tone too, right? Like you never quite know if you're going to get on a call with someone new, like what's their energy level? What are they value? So, you know, people who are people, people i'm a people person yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you know like not to to go through the old like office space joke of that having no value but like there is a ton of value in understanding and reading people and making sure that like you're creating a good experience 
for them to meet the team and, and really start with you in your service. Yeah. And, and, and I think sometimes client market fit is just, I've been with extraordinarily DR focused founders yeah. don't give a like they dread the first 25 minutes of every agency meeting oh where yeah it's, where it's just like hey how you doing okay great this is what we did last week they don't care yeah. like and to be fair like those are my favorite kinds of people because we're just like dude let's just go make some money <laughs> cool we're done five minutes great what do you need from me done like if you can set a timer for 15 minutes and you're done like I had a boss, his name was Jason Hansen, who taught me a lot. And he literally would put a timer on the wall for 15 mm -hmm. minutes. And I had 15 minutes to get that client off the phone. And like, that was like how I was trained. It was just like, and I, Lord knows I could talk. So he's like, yeah. all right, Charlie, you need to get them <laughs> stoked and off the phone in 15 minutes. We're booking an hour yeah. long call. You need to give them 45 minutes back and get yeah. them to spend more money next month that's it get off the phone and th those were the we, we found the right people i was the right guy for that but like and those people yeah. loved it because they were they had all the flowers and you know rainbows and all the other nonsense that you're wasting everybody's time you know yeah that's actually interesting that he you know your boss kept it like that was the rule oh yeah uh, which, yeah, I, which I loved because he need he did that for me yeah Eight other people in the office didn't do it but for oh, me, it's like, it. okay, yeah, yeah. that's really funny. No, because he gave me it, specific I, I clients. Like yeah, he gave I, me I like- one on my team that I wish I gave that rule to. <laughs> yeah, like at the time I was doing Joybird and Progressive Insurance and Disney and like Starbucks. And they were like, these people don't care. Yeah. Give them the money, get off the phone. Yeah. And like, it was some other, like probably borderline spectrum nerd on the other side. And all I had to do was make him look good to his boss who wrote a bigger check. And then that was my job. Oh yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, think about the difference in the clientele, right? You're talking about businesses where you're not, I mean, you're not dealing with founders. You're dealing with like someone that just has a job there. It's the marketing yeah. manager, director, or maybe the VP is there for like just the first onboarding and it disappears until the QBR. Yeah. Um, in that case, I mean, yeah, it's gotta be business and you're all you're really trying to do is you're going to connect with those people but separately right like how do we yeah. get them out to dinner, get them drunk and then you know start to develop yeah yeah all of that fun stuff yeah but on like the the founder entrepreneur side i think more often than not like we really get them talking with those questions like really yeah, ask them, I love that. what was the origin story and why did you start the business and tell I mean, us it, like we it, really want to know and it sounds like a date yeah Hey, you're dating him. Like, where where'd you come mm -hmm. from? Blah blah blah. Right. And if you can remember those yeah. things on the second date, it's gonna probably end up in a third. Yeah. It's not that we didn't have the technical founders. We definitely ran into people that were just like, hey, I already run like I'm the founder, but I've been running the media and I'm like in the weeds and I'm gonna be in the numbers every day. And like they just they get in there. That's a tougher nut to crack, but that's where the value of like your account manager comes in. Mm -hmm. They have to know really well what switches in their own brain to pull um, when dealing with this kind of person? Like, how? what am I going to spend more time on? What am I going to spend less time on? Is this person really going to value an efficient call? Can I give them 30 minutes of the 60 back? Like, if I can do that, then great. Um, and I did find that, like, those people typically would fill out their onboarding document with a lot more detail. So you could wrap up the call a lot earlier because they've, they've handed you everything that you need. Yeah, I love it. I think that just goes to show just how 
there is a fit to yeah. the clients and the agencies. Uh, although I, 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 sadly, I see a lot of folks say, well, the fit isn't about the, is, is about the strategy. And I don't think it has anything to do with the strategy. I think it has to do with the people, right? Yeah. Because the strategy is a commodity. Like I think the strategist in the paid social space or paid search, like, yes, that's good, but that person exists 12 times under every roof. But that being said, right. like we've talked about a lot of things, but what about those founders that have come in? Like I've seen a lot of people barking up the street. And to be fair, I don't think it's necessarily completely wrong in that like the future of the ad agencies and marketing is, is we're going to see a lot less of them. I'm yeah. curious how you think about that. Cause I mean, I have my own perspective, but I'd love to know what you think about it. Yeah, I think it's a great question. It's really funny. I just wrote a LinkedIn post for myself on exactly that today. That uh, All right, well done. I didn't see it. I promise. Enemies. This is good. Uh, no, I did see it. I'm I'm, I'm right on top. No, of no, it. no. I haven't po I haven't posted it yet. I just. Oh wrote well, it. then never mind. I'm 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 over your shoulder, right? <laughs> like, back there. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. There's. It's going to be a bigger struggle. You've got technology. That's not just AI. Everyone's just focused on AI. But I think that you've got a lot of new tech partners in the space that agencies don't necessarily know how to integrate into their service. Mm -hmm. I, like I talk to agencies all the time about strategic partnerships, strategic partnerships with other vendors and other service providers, especially for, for things that you don't offer uh, are really important, but ultimately they're there, not just as a value add, but as a referral partner. Yeah. So I meet with a lot of agencies and they're like, yeah, you know, we're partnered with Shopify apps with Clavio, whoever as a referral partner, but like there's these tech platforms, there's all these SaaS companies that are coming out that are going to, that can allow agencies to develop services that don't require dev work, that don't require full teams and, and millions of dollars in investment or hundred thousand dollars in investment. Um, and I don't think they know enough about how to like change their service to be more valuable and be more unique and say, Hey, I can actually create a publishing site, uh, and create like a whole new environment and offering for my brands that other agencies don't have in-house or native content creation or some type of, uh, you know, I don't know, utilizing in my CRO platform, new shoppable videos on site where there's a couple, you know, cool new sure. shoppable that are doing that. So I think that's one piece of, in terms of staying ahead of the curve because the agencies that are just going to do the, the standard, hey, we do media buying and, and strategy, however you define it, um, and creative, like that's all just going to be the status quo. And then on top of that, you've got the AI threat and you have automation threats. So agencies will, I mean, the threat of AI is obviously like, you know, you can be more efficient, which means you probably don't need to be as highly staffed. Yeah. It's just a reality. But I think like the agencies that they really want to survive, you're going to need to move faster and be more efficient and learn all the AI tools now and not yeah. look at them as like, oh, that's bullshit. And you can't write copy as well as my copywriters. Like, no, use them. You can use them in a lower, you know, smaller capacity. But like, I don't know, you have to have strategic innovation. You've got to have at least one person in your leadership team that's focused on that that can say, we need to shift. We need to change our standard operating procedures, our offering, the way that we do things so we can continue to evolve with all of the other outside factors that we have no control over. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise you have no USP. Yeah. Right, and I think, I just dropped a video on this one too, just what is over to, it's like I'm referencing this thing because it's top of mind, but like, 
I think there's a ton of people that have commodity skills and they don't realize that they're basically, I think if you have a client or you have a job where you basically show up and do the work, that's more or less kind of a handout. Like somebody else did all the work to set that up, but you're also ultimately immediate replaceable. You're not worth more. Mm -hmm. And if you're not bringing undeniable value by combining some unique that something yeah then why do i care right and as soon as anything goes wrong i can blame you and go off to the next guy and, and yeah. so with that being said i'm curious like when do you think working with an agency is the right place like sort of that relationship when does it work best and when do you need it because i think like there is a revolution happening through here with this self-service i mean facebook go broad you're done you can use chat gpt you're kind of done right like I would argue don't use mid journey, but you can like use creatives.io and, and like yeah. Canva and like, man, I just eliminated three partners. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So when do you feel like agencies, when does it work best to bring somebody on or what type of agency to bring on might be a better yeah. way of doing it? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, of course you have to look at the resources in your own organization. Like I want to do whatever it is, if it's media or anything else that any other service provider offers, be shipping and fulfillment, right? You know, most brands don't own their own warehouses. Um, but like, what do you, what resources do you not have that you need that you have to outsource? Yeah. How much of their services do you actually need? Did you try and do it internally and fail at it? Um, and then I think it's, it's not just identifying I need to hire an agency but identifying the right agency partner. Um, is it just going to be about execution and like their track record for brands in a similar vertical? Or are you meeting and working with people that are impressing you with like their strategic thought process around your brand specifically? Are they going to do things different? Even if it doesn't work, yeah. right? Because I think with all the tech and like AI, you know, you can spit out, you can have chat GPT spit out basic stuff. Like you can say, hey, write me a script and give it a bunch of, you know, prompts and, and value props and whatever. And it'll give you a basic, you know, what you need. But do you want to be really disruptive? Do you want to, you know, change the narrative around your product or your vertical? Are you trying to compete with people that are with other brands that are way out of your like realm right now? I don't think that's going to come at least not yet from a machine and you still need human thought and human creativity to, to help you do that. And a lot of the time, I think it's like multiple people brainstorming together. So I think it just depends on like where you are and what you need. Do you have the resources? Maybe you do. And like, they're just, they're not cutting it anymore. Sure. You need fresh, you need new brains and new ideas. Uh, that could be a time to say like, hey, we're going to go to an agency. Maybe we're not looking at it long term. It could be a temporary boost and we're going to do a six month contract and see if they can, you know, be a little disruptive in what we're doing and then take it back in house. So I think there's a lot of different ways. It's just about asking yourself objective questions um, and trying to just be intelligent about, you know, what are you trying to accomplish and do I have the right resources to do it? Yeah, I love it. And I would say, I would add to that sometimes, like, I would focus, do I need this? Yeah. Like, for instance, at Under Outfit, we didn't hire a CRO company. Like, this, the CEO is handling, like, web page design. 
Yeah. Until we got to 40 million a year. Mm-hmm. And like the website was not great, but like that wasn't the problem. Yeah. You, you know seem to, it seems to be, you know, producing a lot of, a lot of revenue. But we're doing all right. And yeah. I think people just hire out because they want all the sexy things of whatever is important. But like they're, when it's right, I think for me, I think it's when it's somebody that's better than you at the next best area of opportunity, yeah. hire for that in a way where, like, for instance, I've hired email teams. Yeah. And sometimes I hired them because I knew they were robust enough to just not do it poorly. And if yeah. I paid them to do the job, I was going to make profit off of that investment. And I just yeah. needed that box checked. Yeah. Like it's checked. We're profitable. Cool. Done. Moving on. Cause yeah. like, I, I, like, that's not what's going to make me go from 50 to hundred. Yeah. I just need to make like, that's, what's going to allow me to not screw up the 50 and their whole job is to make sure that I never need to talk to them. And I told yeah. that our buddy Dylan Ander at splittesting.com. I told him when I signed him on for a client, which they're great. I told him like, I'm going to pay your fee and your job is to make sure I never notice that you work. Like I want five X my traffic and my conversion rate to stay the same. That means you're doing yeah. a good job. Yeah. And like, that was the relationship. I'm curious with this because it is all about the relationship and it's all about like setting that foundation and that expectation and also finding the right one and selling yourself. So really, I think this comes back around to something that you and I are working on, which I'm excited about, which is building that perfect like onboarding system, because part of it is making sure that, that even in the sales call, they understand what's going on. Hmm. And I mean, we don't have to necessarily get too deep into it because so there is a masterclass. You can check that out yeah. links down below and I highly recommend that. But I'm just curious from your perspective, like what goes into building the perfect agency onboarding system just at a 50,000 foot level? Because I think so many people don't know what they don't know. And they also don't have a guide to help them get there. And we're, we're building, we built that guide, but I think yeah. even if they don't check that out, like what is that, what is included in a system where you would say, I need to have X, Y, and Z all covered? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of different ways that you can approach it. It's similar to saying like, well, what do I currently have in place and, and what am I missing? And then I, you know, part of, part of what we're, uh, part of what I'm providing in the, in the class is also like a self-assessment for post-call. But I think this separately can also be a self-assessment on like, well, what else can we include? So you know that you have the basics, right? Like what are the basics that I need to have a successful onboarding, which is of course access just so you can deliver on whatever is in the, the agreement. I like to go into like, okay, you know, what is all the other, you know, supplemental information in the gray area that I don't have, you know, you're essentially taking over from the sales process. Everything's happened with the seller in most traditional scenarios, and then it's being passed off to the execution team. So you, you're there to maintain trust, not like, yes, you're starting from, from scratch a little bit as the salesperson goes back to doing sales and works on the next one. Um, but you really have to maintain that trust and get as much information from the person that closed the deal. So you already have it and you feel like you were involved. So how do you really do that and record it? Um, make sure that you're just aware when you get into the first call and conversation so you can speak to it. Send detailed, you know, whether it's an onboarding questionnaire or, or uh, you know, documents that you filled out. Um, over to them that actually shows and says like, hey, we've got all this information here and what I don't have, I'm asking you for it. 
you want to be able to like kind of pre-prepare with templates. So first point of communication, like I'm templatizing emails that go out, welcoming them in. Here's everything that you need. Here's everything that I need from you. Making sure that like, you know, the call is not scripted, but you have a good outline that carries it through a, a story from start to finish. What do I really need from you? What do I want to get from you from the beginning? What are the goals that we're setting? How am I actually recording that? And then when are we going to revisit it? And then basically like everything else that you might need. Yeah. Plus the follow-ups, right? Like the intros to the team, making sure that everyone knows like, you know, who's who, the expectations that you're setting. Um, I think aside from just expectations, but like boundaries that you're going to set as a service provider, like that sure. should be included as part of like, it's got like a sub bullet of expectations. Yeah. That 8 PM Friday email. When is that going to get answered? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, preferred communication too. It's like, Hey, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to do it on Slack. Is that cool with you? 99% of the time it is. Sometimes it's not. Um, and if it's not like, let's talk about that. How are we going to communicate in the most efficient and effective way? Right. So there's just expectations and, and, you know, when will I answer and, uh, you know, knowing to acknowledge a question, if you don't have time to respond to it right away, that's not really part of onboarding, but just like general, you know, client service, uh, I don't know, just like a best practice in communication. Yeah. And then I think just like the follow-ups, right? Like what, when you finish the first process, like the self-assessment, ask yourself, how did it go? What were they like? Who are the players on their side? And what are their roles? Who's going to be difficult? Who's not? Who's lacking certain knowledge that we're going to need to educate and nurture maybe? Who's really an expert in certain areas where like, I may not want to step toe to toe with them here. Cause I'm going to, even if I'm right, going to lose that argument every time. Yeah. Yeah. And educating the rest of the team on that. Um, and then, you know, I think just the final follow-ups of like, it's not just that onboarding call, but like, what does the first month look like? Yeah. What does the first term of the contract look like? Yeah. And what are our deliverables? So having all that stuff ready, templatized, able to not just like a straight template, but like a modular template. So you can really, you know, adjust it based on the client's need. Yeah. And I'm super excited about what we have inside the masterclass because it's you're going to have all of that together. So it's sort of a like overview of all of those things in a much deeper depth with like guidelines for everything there. And I, I know we got to get going in a second. I just want to say that I love the idea here that the perfect onboarding sets up the successful first term because it's about the relationship and it's about getting that second check and making that relationship work. Because yeah. just as you think of an e-com business of that person coming back to buy again, like in a service business, it's do they renew, right? And yeah, hundred percent. Oh, one actually critical thing that I left out of my. Let's rant, do it. Big thing. I think it's just speed, right? Yeah. Like we are just talking about, you know, tech and, and automation, but you know, how much can you automate? How many triggers can you set up? Like you want the process to be as frictionless as possible. Not everything can be automated or templatized, but as much as you can. I mean, that makes, it's not necessarily for the client outside of just like the speed factor, but it's more for your team, the efficiency of your team. Like you, you need your team that that's, you know, servicing the client to not be underwater. The more you can automate for them, the easier their lives are, the happier they'll be, you know, on the call. Yeah, no, I love it, man. 
Well, hey, dude, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And um, and uh, yeah, like if, if you just want to make sure that anybody, if they want to get in touch with you, like how do they do that? How do they do that? Oh my God. Well, you can email me. First of all, thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, yeah. So you can email me. My email is uh, jesse at Direct LLC. I'll put that down below. Yeah. We'll put that. We'll put that in there. You can find me on LinkedIn. I do some posting there. You can find me on Mentor Pass. Um, you can find me, you know, around the, uh, around the, uh, the interwebs. So yeah, check me out. I'm working, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, my consulting business is still somewhat fresh, so I'll get a website to everyone as, as soon as I have it, but, uh, definitely feel free to, to email me. Um, I'm in a lot of the, uh, kind of like the D2C Slack community groups too. Uh, if you see me around and any type of, you know, kind of Shopify partner events. Love it, man. Well, thank you so much, Jude. I'll, I'll let you go. And uh, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate it. See you, buddy. All right. Later. Bye.